the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerdiel. Carol, a nationally known gerontologist, graduate of Trinity University undergrad, and then graduate degree, a master's in uh, gerontology from the University of the Incarnate Word here in San Antonio. She serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and is the... uh, Chairman of the Board of the National Council on Aging. And in just a couple of moments, we're going to talk to a woman who has been on this program before, and Carol heard her speak down in Corpus Christi as well. Brenda Avadian will join us. She is the founder, the organizer of the Caregiver's Voice, and she'll be with us. Yeah, she, and she, she's got some wonderful um, stories to tell. Been doing that for more than 20 years. That's really something. That's before caregiving was recognized. That's right. That's wow. right. Wow. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about a problem that uh, this time of year, everyone who made that New Year's resolution about taking off the weight and keeping it off is looking at their waistlines and saying, hey, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, what's that? It's that my dryer, I know once upon a time I, I said, my dryer is shrinking all my clothes. I, I was a... absolutely convinced it was the dryer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it wasn't. <laughs> it, no, it, no. It, it wasn't. Um, so this was from Jane Brody in the New York Times talking about the growing toll of our ever-expanding waistlines. So there are the two um, leading causes of death in this country are preventable. One is smoking. Um, and as the gentleman who is the head doctor at the Cooper Institute in Dallas said, if you still smoke, I don't know what to tell you. You just, you know, you're clueless. Um, and then the second one, though, is obesity. So there was recently an, an analysis of all those mega studies. Like they looked at a 1,000 studies on obesity. And they found that obesity is linked to 13 different kinds of cancer. Wow. And that the amount of extra pounds that you carry relates to the increased risk. So the more pounds, the more risk, which I, I have not heard that before. And this list is very long of cancers. It's esophagus, liver, gallbladder, colon, Rectum, stomach, pancreas, uterus, ovary, kidney, thyroid, breast cancer. Uh, the only cancer that's not going down is colorectal cancer, and that's because we have more screenings. Colonoscopies. And they, can, they get the precancerous polyps. But in most cases, you know, this cancer is, is, is the risk of it is in direct proportion to the degree of excess weight. And so it's, this has been creeping up since, like, 2005 at 1.4% annually, which, you know, if you get the cumulative effect for that, if you add 1.4 right. over 20 years, ah, that's, that's a like lot. a 20% increase. And almost half of all cancers in people younger than 65, and this is where, you know, a lot of caregivers, a lot of us are under age 65, um, nearly half of all the cancers in people younger than 65 are directly associated with overweight and obesity. Wow. So that, you know, that it was a little bit sobering. Um, we, we don't do a good job still about talking about weight. I think in this country, um, there, there was an interesting follow-up in this talking about how doctors, if a doctor tells you you're obese, that like 21% of people are never, are never going back to that doctor because it, they, you know, the, it's insult. They feel like they've been insulted um, by saying obesity, morbidity. Those are really ugly words, and people don't, you know, they don't want to hear them. Cora Juke, uh, who co-hosts Women Radio with me here on nine thirty a.m. The Answer, uh, tells a wonderful story. So I'm not telling anything out of school. Uh, and she's a nurse practitioner and counsels many of her 
patients on weight and weight loss, and she had a client who was uh, way, way overweight, and she started talking to him about it, uh, and he looked at her and he said, uh, Cora, what about you? We're talking about me, but, but what about you? And he confronted her with the fact, and she never looked overweight to me, but she was carrying maybe more weight than she should have because I'll tell you what, she's lost. She took him up on it, and she said, you know, you're absolutely right. Here I am giving you advice, and I'm not taking it. Let's do this together. And so they buddied up. They partnered. They talked every week. They emailed, and she now has lost over 60 pounds. Wow. And he has lost over 100 pounds. Well, I think that that buddy concept is really important. It, it, it does help to have a buddy. And you talked about, you know, maybe carrying a few extra pounds. It's interesting because women are gaining more weight than than men. Really? Um, 23% of women in have gained 44 pounds between the eight, since they were 18 and 55. Wow. So over the decades, as we become middle-aged, we've put on 44 pounds. That's um, a lot of weight. That's, that's a lot. That's, that will, you will have to size up those pants. Now, I hang out with you at least once a week, uh, and you don't look like you've had a weight problem ever. And, you know, what the, all I can tell you is I, we talked about um, coffee last week and how I went to Europe and drank coffee. I did live in Europe once upon a time where the dryer was shrinking my jeans. And I can just tell you the pastries are not, not, <laughs> not good for the waistline. And that people, I found out later, the people when they saw when I came back, they, they were like, you came, but you, they wanted to say, wow, you gained some weight. But, you know, it wasn't until I, I took it off that they were like, oh, thank goodness. Because you came, when you came back from Europe, I barely recognized you. Most people will not say something to you if, uh, if you've gained weight. I had one friend here, he's since passed away, who ran a tuxedo uh, a rental shop. And every uh, once in a while, if I had a last-minute tux I needed and mine wasn't in the cleaners yet and needed to be, I'd rent a tux. And he would never fail to look at me and say, you put weight on, you need to take it off. Ooh, the Which tuxedo was, man. Oh, the tuxedo man, yeah. absolutely. And he was right. Well, you know, it, what a lot of people don't realize is uh, think about people who have quit smoking. So let's we're talking about changing your diet and losing weight. Um, it takes, I think, something like 8 to 33 trying to quit smoking attempts before somebody is successful. Um, so it's not going to happen all of a sudden. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, 8 to 30 is in this New York Times article. So if you want to quit smoking, you've got to try up to 30 wow. times. And I'm sure there are people out there who have tried 30 diets. Um, but if you have a loved one who has a Medicare benefit, you can get weight counseling and nutrition education at no cost as part of Medicare from your physician. Um, there is some help out there. Try 31 times. Go for um, it. You know, because you're going to feel better and, and have a lower risk of and cancer. And live longer. And have a lower risk of cancer, which who doesn't want that? You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerno. We talked to Brenda Avadian in just a couple of moments. She is the founder of The Caregiver's Voice. We talked to her about what she has seen change and morph in caregiving. She'll be with us in just a couple of minutes. Uh, if you take a look at seniors in our society, Carolyn, you really made a lifetime of working in this field. It turns out that a lot of older people are lonely. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because recently in the New York Times there was a, an op-ed piece that was saying, stop talking about people dying from loneliness. Um, because the British actually created a position and, um, like the Secretary of Loneliness to look at social isolation and loneliness in Britain. And they, you know, they're like, this is ridiculous. Um, but I'm not sure that, that the op-ed person is correct because not only, you know, is there a lot of study from all over the world that talks about how loneliness hurts your brain, it's bad for your heart, it is the new smoking. Um, if we talk about quality of life, right? you know, Maybe maybe you don't die of loneliness, but maybe you do. And what has your life been like? 
while you've had, you know, been living alone and cut off from, or you feel alone. I mean, why would any of us want anyone to feel like that they were alone? So um, Next Avenue, um, which is a publication out of the PBS system, had, came out with four ways to talk to your older loved one about loneliness and maybe connect them. One is if you're good at social media, there are people who have found a, a, it's a great connection to connect with people on social media. So the Facebook and the Twitters, and I'm not one of those people you can hear, by the way, I talk Instagram. about it. Instagram. I don't know. Pick a social media. <laughs> um, that that, you know, that that can work. And, and you really can connect with family members by sharing the pictures and, and you know, and, and maybe even be a little bit of a voyeur, you know, if you're just looking at pictures. I don't know. But so there's social media. Um, having the conversation about living alone. That's a really hard conversation to have, and people don't want to give up their own home, but people who live with other people actually live longer. And I know that my, I can use my great aunt, if she's listening, hello, Catherine, <laughs> as an example, she just moved into a new um, senior living arrangement. I never met her, but I love your great aunt. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she moved herself out of assisted living and into independent living. Of course she and did. And she loves those, she loves those active adults. She's 90, about to be 97. And she just loves those <laughs> more active adults in the independent living and the food. And, you know, and she benefits by the conversation of not living alone. She's back you know, with all of her little social groups, uh, and it keeps her going. One of the biggest things that can help isolate us is a lack of transportation. Right. Um, you made a great suggestion just today because, um, you know, you've had some surgery, can't drive with your knee, and I'm going to give you a ride home. And what did you say if I couldn't give you a ride? I'd take Uber. You were going to take Uber. So if your loved one doesn't know about Lyft or Uber and how that might be a way to get a ride and connect um, the the local area agency on aging should have a listing of transportation options for seniors. There may be reduced or free um, transportation, um, public transportation or paratransit. Um, it, so it doesn't necessarily have to be big cost to get transportation. Well, Uber or Lyft, which is the competitor, are not that expensive. Right. And when you figure driving, and especially if you're going somewhere where you have to park, uh, and if it's downtown, it's a hassle. And the beauty of uh, Lyft or Uber or yellow cab is they take you where you want to go and left you off in front of the door that's right you know and i still use taxis i know they're they you know they may or may not be more expensive than the uber lyft folks it just depends on where you're going yeah and the last recommendation is to help your loved one find a support group so if they've got parkinson's there's a parkinson's support groups there's mild cognitive impairment there may be some online or over the telephone support groups so don't you know let's help our our, all of each other not feel lonely uh, and find some ways to connect with other folks and we can plug in the last point you wanted to make the last Point. Go get vaccinated together. Go get vaccinated together. It, you know, we've only got a couple of seconds left, but people are asking, should I, you know, can you get revaccinated? The stuff that you had as a kid, if you were born before or after, I'm sorry, 1957, you're probably good with measles. The mumps part of the shot's not that great. So if you are around grandkids who might get the mumps, you probably want to get it again. But do not, do not forget to get that annual flu shot. This year should teach you, you know, flu shots are the difference between life and death this year. Get your tetanus booster. Get your shingles vaccine and the pneumococcal vaccine. But all of those are important. Ask your PCP. Carol you, and your, you and your loved one. Go get your shots <laughs> yeah, thank together. Thank you. We're going to talk with Brenda Vadian in just a moment. The caregiver's voice. On Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. 
Well, thank you so much for being with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And we mentioned we've got a very special guest joining us, Brenda Avadian. Uh, she is the uh, author of and manager of a wonderful website, The Caregiver's Voice. And we'll talk with her about how she got involved in caregiving and what that means for people here and across this country. Tell you about a newsletter you can sign up for as well, a free monthly newsletter called The Caregiver's Voice. And uh, Brenda, nice to have you on Caregiver SOS On Air. How are you today? Well, I'm doing just fine, and thank you for having me, Ron and Carol. Well, Brenda, um, we were talking before the show, and you mentioned, uh, you know, we've had you on the show several times. I've seen you speak. You came down and did a caregiver conference in Corpus Christi. Um, but there's a, you, this is special because it, it's a, kind of a special um, time for Caregiver's Voice. What you, Do you have an anniversary? Yes, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. Who would have known we'd been doing this this long? And who would have known that 20 years ago anybody cared about caregiving? <laughs> That's and right. And actually very few people talked about caregiving, Ron, right. 20 years ago. That's there right. There was such stigma built around it. So what got you involved in, in uh, the concept of launching uh, the Caregiver's Voice? Well, at first it was my father. I was caring for my father, who was diagnosed with dementia initially, and then later Alzheimer's. He was involved in a Alzheimer's clinical study. And I was caring for him in my home in California. We moved him out of his home of 45 years in the Midwest of, uh, well, in Wisconsin. And I used to talk about my experiences in support group other places, and the People in sport groups said, you need to write about this. You've written four other books. Why don't you write about this? And I said, I don't write about books like this. You know, that's personal. And that was the case with many caregivers and many people with dementia 20 years ago. People did not talk about it, at least not openly. It was quiet. It was, shh, don't tell anybody. Because it was like the big C in the 60s and 70s, cancer. And then it was like AIDS in the late 70s, early 80s, where people were afraid if you touch somebody with cancer years ago or touch somebody with AIDS, that they might you might catch it. And now, uh, 20 years ago, we dealt with that with Alzheimer's and other uh, dementing diseases and illnesses. Well, I remember that it was kind of traumatic, this, this all of a sudden having to move your father home with you. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... You know, it was, if it wasn't for the caseworker at the Milwaukee County Department on Aging who called and said, something must be done for your father. And I asked her for help, and she was willing to help. And I realized there were a few options back then. And, of course, you know, there's a couple kinds of family caregivers, those who step in in a crisis and those who gradually get involved. Well, when she called and said that, and she said, otherwise we'll have to do a safety check, and then, you know, he may have to be pulled in for a 72-hour psychiatric exam, I thought, this man, who is a member of the greatest generation, who trusted his government and, and everything about his adopted country that he immigrated in in 1920, if the authorities came in and pulled him out to do a psychiatric exam, it would kill him. So I told her that, and I said, what if I just come out? And, and she, she breathed a sigh of relief. Little did I know she really preferred that. And uh, she said, sure. And I said, well, I need your help because I'm the youngest child. I know nothing about stuff like this. I've been out of his life for 19 years. And she was helpful, and together we worked it out. And the best option at that time with the little I knew, was to move him into our home. Well, and did did you have to stop doing what you were doing? Were you, like, you know, did it affect your career? Did you change careers? Is that where Caregiver's Voice came from? And and that's a yes, yes, yes. It, uh, <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it, uh, it really did affect everything. I mean, I had to make a decision, filial responsibility, family responsibility versus doing the consulting work I was doing for corporations on strategic design and succession planning, leadership consulting. And I realized I couldn't do both. It turned your world upside down. 
It, you know, it did, Ron. It was like putting the kettle on the back burner, forgetting about it until it just kept simmering and then the kettle melted. So I focused then on caregiving, and people kept telling me, look, you've been speaking professionally, you've been writing, why don't you focus on caregiving? And that's how I moved into this area. Well, you know, it it was 20 years, you, you talked about Caregiver's Voice in 20 years, um, and we were kind of chuckling a little bit before the show, uh, and we mentioned it in the opening, that so much has changed. It's It's not just that nobody talked about caregiving, 20 years ago, the whole field of aging and, 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 and the whole field of caregiving um, it has become a field. So, you know, what do you, in looking back, since you personally became involved in family caregiving, but looking back with your professional eye as well, you know, what's, what are some key changes now? Hold that thought. For those of you who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, we are talking about caregiving and the caregiver's voice with Brenda Avedian, who is with us on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline, We're talking about what you have seen change in caregiving since 20-plus years ago you founded uh, your organization. What's changed? The most notable, Ron and Carol, is that people with dementia are speaking out on behalf of themselves. And the credit to that goes to earlier diagnosis. There's a dual-pronged risk, though, with earlier diagnosis in that if a person is diagnosed too early, a doctor may diagnose them with one form of dementia and the person may have a different form of dementia. And they may be treated, say, for Alzheimer's only to learn they have Lewy body dementia and that may, the treatment for Alzheimer's may pose a risk for a person right. with Lewy body. That's right, because some, some of the treatments for Alzheimer's actually accelerate, like frontotemporal, I can never say this right, FTD, yes. frontotemporal. frontotemporal lobe. Yes, thank you. Thank you for saying that, it. That <laughs> FTD, they call it. Yeah, the FTD, it'll accelerate the progress of the disease if you give someone an Alzheimer's drug. Yes, and and so and, and in some people it can prove fatal. Absolutely. So um, that, you know, so... I say it's a dual-pronged thing. There's a benefit, there's a risk. But the benefit is that people are being diagnosed early enough where they can still speak about their experience. And we have learned so much because think about years back when we would say these condescending types of things about, you know, give somebody uh, to keep somebody active, give them a basket of laundry, have them fold it, then go into the other room, mix it all up, you know, and then bring it back out for them to fold it. We would, honestly, if we're truly trying to be sensitive to people and help give them purpose and preserve their dignity, we would never say that again. Well, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I, I recently, um, in the fall, attended the Dementia Summit they had in, in Bethesda at the NIH, and it was the first time uh, among research professionals, so these I'm not a researcher, but most of the people there were NIH researchers, and they had a person with Alzheimer's, and they had a person with Lewy body, and they had a person with FTD, um, yes. and they were so eloquent. I mean, each one of those individuals brought down the house and, and made me realize, um, I know the one gentleman talked about how he went to see a doctor who never once made him feel less than he was or embarrassed him in front of his family. She called him, he had been a, a you know, a doctor, a musician, I believe, teaching music at one of the university, and she still called him doctor so-and-so. And yes. he was so grateful that she never embarrassed him in Treated front of him his like daughter. A real but in front of but it, it's because my daughter has to come with me to these appointments and I didn't feel demeaned and my head started swirling. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm sure I said something wrong. You know, when my mother had Alzheimer's, I'm sure that I accidentally embarrassed well, her at some point. Know. Carol, we didn't know. And I want you to know I am sitting here with goosebumps listening to you say that. Because that just points to how far we've come. Well, and then on the research side, the, the gentleman I loved, he's like, he said, you know, we get these, these low participation rates and these low scores and on all these research projects. He goes, has anyone ever thought about how boring 
these research projects are and have we made it a little more interesting for people to participate that we might people might do better and we might get different results i thought that was hysterical also to deal with people who have test anxiety yes i know if i had to be assessed for dementia doing the tests i suffer from test anxiety i would fail going in right now well, I have a friend whose mother is in her 80s, and she practices counting back from seven because in the many <laughs> mental status, they ask you to start at 100 and count back by sevens. And every yeah. day she practices it so that she can pass that part of the test. Funny, 100, Yeah, yeah, and, and, and do it backwards. So I agree with you. I think, but the, the hearing the voice of the people who have the disease is probably, I mean, that's very recent, and it's remarkable, um, it's, you know, to, to listen. We, we do, we can learn a lot, and we have learned a lot more. In, in fact, we launched three years ago a column at the Voices with the, or at the caregiversvoice.com that's called Voices with Dementia. And every month we interview a person who lives with dementia. And these people have taught us more then we could learn by reading textbooks, et cetera. I mean, they're giving us, I mean, it's their experience. Now, do me favors. Hang on just a second. Stick with us. Share with us a couple of those stories when we come right back to you. Uh, what you're hearing of voices with dementia as we talk uh, about not only caregiving and uh, folks with dementia and Alzheimer's. Our, our very special guest, Brenda Vadian, is with us on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Sundays at 6 p.m. As we continue our conversation with Brenda Vadian, uh, caregiver, caregivers, uh, her, her website, is Caregiver's Voice. We're talking with her about uh, the voice of caregivers and the voice of uh, those who are care recipients in a project that they've begun. She's with us on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And Brenda, you were going to share with us uh, some of the stories that care recipients and those with dementia are sharing with you. Well, um, there's a number of these stories. We've been doing this for three years one story a month. So each one is unique. So I don't really want to share that, but all I ask people to do is search Voices with Dementia and they'll get the whole column. However, I'll tell you some summary remarks about what we found with with interviewing. Um, And and the first thing is that dementia is unpredictable. Um, There is no planning. Both of you plan to be here in the studio to do this interview. I plan to be here available to do this interview. But when you have dementia, you can't plan. Sometimes things happen and and um, you lose your ability to think or something happens. I mean, we interviewed one person who was completely um, loquacious, sharing remarks, enthusiastic, etc., and he all of a sudden lost his ability to speak. He just completely lost just, his ability. Did, and, and did he, I mean, like one, it's, did he forget? He regained it. He regained it. But it's just, these are the unpredictable things in our brain with multi-billion cells that you just, you don't know. Um, the other thing that we've learned is that doctors still display insensitivity when they give the diagnosis. And I think you know, doctors are human beings, too. They get exhausted, and it's like, yeah, Ron, you know, well, how old did you say you are? Well, come on, you're getting up in age there. It's likely dementia, you know? I mean, what does that do to you and right. your family? Right, because they wouldn't pass a, a death sentence of cancer off the cuff, which Correct. which the person that's receiving the news, you have Alzheimer's, to them, they're hearing a death sentence. It, it, absolutely, but, and, and so... You know, we're, we're still working on educating them, but, you know. The other thing we've discovered is that, um, that and the research also points to this, is that people get a sense. You know, when we're younger, we say, oh, gee, I'm forgetting. And when we're younger, people say, oh, come on, Brenda, you know, you're just, you just got a lot on your mind. But as soon as we hit this magic age, whether it's 75, 80, 85, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I might have dementia. But the research points that when we feel 
consistently that we are forgetting, there might be some truth in that. That's right. They talked about um, one of the, there's been a whole study on people who thought they had memory problems, people who were not concerned about the memory problems, and the people that thought they had memory problems were the ones that were most likely to develop dementia. Yeah, that's just amazing. Which is really so, a terrifying study. I don't want to read that one anymore. <laughs> it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, that, that gives me heebie-jeebies and tinglies because we just don't know, you know, and they all come from diverse walks of life. So we say take preventative measures like eat right, exercise, do all those things that we keep hearing repeatedly. But it still strikes people from diverse walks of life. And there are some people that we have interviewed who live with dementia, who need help, whose spouses also are ill, not with dementia, but other diseases and illnesses. So they work together to help one another. So it's, it's a, um, you know, I, I've been talking to a few of these folks with dementia who take more of a research perspective, and I've asked them, what if this whole thing with Alzheimer's and dementia is because there's just so much information today that we're just losing our minds. We just can't keep up anymore. There's just so much information. I mean, do both of you subscribe to professional journals? How well do you keep up? How high are the stacks of your journals on your reading table? I mean, we just are not able to keep up. And I'm beginning to wonder if there's some segment in our, um, you know, these dementia diagnoses where we're just so inundated and overwhelmed with our brains um, with this information. That well, we I just... solved the problem of journals stacking up on the end table. I read them online. So you have all this digital, so yeah. that's not really fair. I have a digital yeah. stack. I thought she'd been in my office because no. I was just <laughs> handed another professional journal today, and I stuck it under the same chair right. with the other well, I mean, we all do that. And you can never catch up. And t- Exactly. And now there's people among us who will, uh, I don't know among the three of us, but among us of your listening audience, that will just see that stack pile up, 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 and then they just dump it all, all of a sudden. They say, look, I haven't looked at it, dump it. I'm more the one who likes to go back and look at the context, the history, and so on, and get some grounding. Yeah, and and try to figure out which ones are the good ones that you need to save and read, and then they stay around a little longer. Yeah, I've been I've Um, there. The other thing about people with dementia who have been diagnosed with dementia, social media serves as a virtual lifeline of support. And and I say this with tongue-in-cheek because I was talking with a caregiver recently who was surprised. She says, well, people with dementia don't know how to use the computer and stuff. And I'd say, you'd be surprised. So, again, this sense of what do we know about the abilities of people with dementia. And I think as we move into the future, you know, because we've been doing this for 20 years, so we need to look at where we're we're heading in the future. As we look into the future, I am just hoping that we can find ways to use the skills and abilities of people with dementia, that we can pay them for some of these skills and abilities because a lot of families are suffering with limited income potential. Just as mine was when I became a caregiver, I lost much of my retirement potential in working, you know, and, and earning a good, solid income. You know, we lose that as caregivers. Well, it blows away your Social Security credits. Oh, my Social Security credit will buy me a loaf of bread once a month, so I'll just eat one slice a day, keep low weight. Right. Well, we know it's about, for someone who quits their job and to be a caregiver, it's about $315,000. I hope I hope you, <laughs> this is not news to you, you know, um, that we give away when we stop, if we stop working entirely, that cost of caregiving and lost wages and retirement, huge. Social Security, exactly. it's huge. And we have no social uh, systems yet in place, and I think this baby boom generation, if we do this delicately enough, um, you know, we're such a wide generation from 1946 to 1964. Uh, if our leading folks, you know, measure and temper their approach, I think the entire generation should be able to smoothly create initiatives 
that won't impact the other generations so much, but create initiatives that we can't even imagine today. Well, I mean, I... there are initiatives we're seeing worldwide, like intergenerational care uh, opportunities in the Netherlands or young students who are living in nursing homes with elder residents to just kind of bring the youthfulness in them. I mean, these are things I would have never expected 20 years ago, never even thought of. And now Japan is testing care robots. Care bots. We love we love the kit robots. Ron and I talk about the robots a lot. Yeah, next to yeah, and then, then but <laughs> we love robots. And now HealthTap is researching how to have um, uh, machines show compassion. Right. You know because right. Yeah. So the, it, these are uh, the critical things that we're looking at. You know how how do machines show compassion? as they care for loved ones. So these things are part of our future. You know, we had a brain pacemaker to temper the um, tremors for people with Parkinson's. Now they're looking at using that to, uh, to slow the executive function loss. Oh, oh, the decline? See, so now yeah. you're, you're getting into what I hope happens is that they find a cure or something, anything that will make this situation... Something that ameliorates the symptoms. Yes, it makes this right. better because it's just... Um, we honestly, I mean, when Pfizer said no more research into Alzheimer's and, and uh, Parkinson's research, you know, it was like, okay, what's the next big drug company that's going to go away? But what, what gave me hope was Bill Gates putting his money into Alzheimer's research. I thought, oh, thank goodness, somebody yeah, I, got interested in aging and particularly Alzheimer's. I will say to Bill Gates, it's about time, because he has focused so much on the malaria research overseas, And um, but I knew something was up, because I've never heard him express that interest, and it turned out that he feared for himself, because his father at age 92 was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah, which at age 92... <laughs> Not yeah, to sound like one of those fact. doctors. Yeah, he, he was lucky. Yeah, but he's he lived to 92. doing a lot of the great courses. At yes. least that's what I read, you know, to keep his brain yeah. up. But we, we love you, Bill Gates, if you're listening. Thank goodness you're putting your money into Alzheimer's. It is the I right mean, thing to do. Help. Well, self-motivation. We'll do it. Yeah, and maybe Elon Musk can, uh, instead of launching cars of into space, give us some uh, funds, <laughs> you know, for this kind of research but you know you just don't know we just don't know and it could be the stem cell research i I believe as with everything it might be just this one thing that has a massive effect across the board okay we have about two minutes do me a favor share with our listeners uh what you would recommend for folks who want to interact uh, with your website and with your program How, how can they get involved I would say if uh, they have experiences, they can write guest articles on our website. But uh, one way to get involved, initially the easiest, is to sign up for a monthly newsletter. We were talking about the um, newsletters piling up. This comes online. It's once a month, and it's excerpts, so they can get through it quickly. And the email to that is http colon forward slash forward slash ee. P-U-R-L dot com forward slash lowercase t capital K lowercase E-T. I'll repeat the last part of that. It's HTTP you know, forward slash forward slash and E-E-P as in Pamela U-R-L dot com forward slash lowercase t capital K lowercase E. All right, now you lost us. What if they just went to thecaregiversvoice.com? Will they find all that? They should be able to sign up for the newsletter. If they tool around there, they'll find it. So just go to thecaregiversvoice.com, and you'll find a whole list of uh, not only uh, books, but topics and resources uh, and ways in which you can interact with uh, exactly what's going on on that website. And, again, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Any last words of wisdom for someone who just today became a caregiver? Uh, we got to work together, reach out, get help. You can't do it alone. Get help by talking with other people so that you're stronger and you can move forward. I, 
that's great advice, and I just want to congratulate you, Brenda, on your 20 years of work. Um, and I'm excited to to hear that you're working with people with dementia and giving them voice. Uh, it's so important, and we will follow up with you again to find out what you're doing next. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Ron and Carol. Take care. Bye-bye. Brenda Vadian with the uh, Caregiver's Voice, and again, uh, thecaregiversvoice.com is where you can get a hold of uh, her and uh, a bunch of the information that she has on her website. Twenty years ago, she began this. That you know, this is the second person I've talked to recently who's been in the field uh, for you know twenty plus years, and things have changed. They really have, and I and you know fortunately it's it's for the better. Uh, thank goodness uh, we're seeing caregivers now. And we even actually just got the Raise Act passed, which we'll talk about. Um, on our next show, but things are moving, and they, we've still got a long way to go. Perfect. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. And if you want to listen to podcasts, they're available as well. Just Google Caregiver SOS on air podcasts. Thanks for being with us. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, what can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. As we promised and we delivered, Take 10 follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. We are joined not only by our co-host, Carol Zerniel, but by Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in caregiving as well as addictions. And we're delighted to have you with us, Jamie. And this is a rescue run, as many of our listeners know. Uh, I didn't take out billboards, but I've talked about it enough. I recently had total left knee replacement surgery, uh, and, and we knew going in that there'd be a, a few days, maybe a few weeks, where I really was at the mercy of a, a caregiver who happens to be my wife, Gina. Uh, and it, it's a heck of a challenge uh, being a caregiver. It's a heck of a challenge being a care recipient. And the funny part about it, and, and I mentioned this to Carol briefly, we've been doing this show for four or five years now, every week talking about caregiving and care recipients and what the challenges are, but I've never been on this end of it. So I walk in the studio today and Ron greets me with, I hate being a care recipient. So, yes. so, so what's going on with Ron? <laughs> so, well, you know, this is a heroic past. I know Ron quite well. <laughs> Ron, and you can turn to, Ron runs incredible radio shows. Ron is an amazing media personality. And everything really, Ron kind of conducts in his life, and he does it incredibly competently with just, just a wonderful flair. But now all of a sudden, take that mindset, take that ego, take that sort of presence of, of, of profession, and turn it all around, and you no longer have the microphone, and you no longer have the conducting stick, and you no longer are able to be the one that can actually... Um, be the center, if you will, of, of this world. And now you have to take, you know, help from somebody. To me, I know when I get gifts, I get anxious as hell. I don't know why that's the case. I just don't like to be at the center either. I totally understand where Ron is coming from because it's such a shift for us to become a care recipient. Well, so let me ask you a question, Ron. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you occasionally have to step back and say, you know what? I really can't do this myself. I'm just going to have to, you know, bear. I'm going to have to let somebody do this for me. Well, I know there are things I can't do by myself, uh, and, and that's part of the uh, 
uh, frustration and, and friction between care recipient and caregiver. Uh, one is uh, I, I don't want to control my meds. I, I have uh, prescribed pain medication, but I don't want to be the one uh, who says, well, let me have another one now. Oh, I know. It's only been two hours instead of four hours. So Gina is uh, uh, Nurse Cratchit in, ter- in terms of being responsible for, oh, honey, can, can I have my pain meds now? I have difficulty uh, with my walker carrying my big steel Yeti full of water, so I need help doing that. Uh, I need help going places. Uh, I'm at a point now where I can drive and uh, we'll start driving this week. It's been three weeks, uh, and I'm, I, I can do it. But then uh, the challenge becomes uh, how good at it am I going to be, uh, and, and should I keep asking for help? Like I asked you if you would mind giving me a ride home. Now, the beauty, of course, in this day and age, and this didn't exist 15, 20 years ago, Dr. Jamie, uh, if Carol couldn't have given me a ride, I could call Uber, and, and I've done that, taken you know, an Uber home, and it's pretty easy doing that. So that's taken some of the burden off. But, yes, I've had to say I need help. You know, I think what you've done, Ron, is done something extraordinarily healthy. I mean, first of all, let's reflect a second and have a lot of gratitude, if you will, because you and Gina are a couple, and you're very supportive in your team, and you're able to communicate to each other. You're saying, Gina, you take care of the medications. You know, don't forget how many people suffer from chronic or acute, you know, rehab incidences like yourself in total isolation. Right. And they don't have the ability to, to have that back and forth. Now, the other when burden... G- go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. When you ask Gina, for instance, to take care of the medication, I see so many people descending into the, the hell of addiction because they didn't have a Gina there. The other thing we have are three little kids. We've got twin boys who are four, uh, and they're needy, 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 and a little six-year-old girl who is needier than four little twin boys. So she's juggling that as well. And then I have to tell you, the other night, and I double-checked with my uh, orthopedic surgeon, who's who's a friend, Dr. Uh, Uva Pontius, uh, our kids are upstairs. We, our bedroom's on the first floor, so I don't have to climb stairs to get around the house. But to help Gina with the kids... Uh, you have to go upstairs. And the other night at about 2.30 a.m. or so, the boys woke up, and uh, Gina was upstairs, and she said, I know you can climb these stairs. <laughs> you can come up these stairs. I can't do this alone. And I said, you know, I'd love to come up, and I'll tell you what, I'll text Dr. Pontius in the morning, see if I can get Clarence to climb stairs, but I don't think I'm ready yet. And sure enough, he said, no, I'd wait another week. I see him next Monday. I'll wait a week, and then uh, uh, we'll see if I should be climbing stairs. And by morning, she had gotten over that instant bit of rage and understood. But it's frustrating for her. No doubt. I mean, it's extraordinarily frustrating for her. You can see how caregiving and care-receiving really takes the balance out of everything. And that's why it's so critical, Ron, it, it, and I've always talked about it during a subject matter, but it's so neat to be able to talk to you about it, that this is the whole process of learning about your own self. This is a whole journey about being able to let go of an incident or issue or, or a real tough time and allow people to come to you. It's a time when you really can't have both feet on the ground by taking care of your own mind, your own body, your own soul. And when all of these kind of incongruent thoughts come up, these loathing thoughts of being taken care of, they should be kind of gifts to you to say, you know what, maybe I should be doing something to take care of myself because I need to be on two feet and be able to receive. Let me tell you. has given so, so much for so many years. It's your time now. Oh, well, thank you. I'll tell you a very funny story because I know that, that my wife is under a lot of stress. It's impossible not to see that. And so I called a, a good friend of ours who also, like you, uh, is a psychotherapist. And I called her and I said, do me a favor, don't tell Gina I called you and asked you to do this, but why don't you call her, see how she's doing, reach out to her, maybe, you know, offer to go have a drink or whatever with her, uh, and, uh, you know, see if you can uh, at least let her vent some of the stress. So here's the end result. Gina comes to me and says, oh, hey, Lee called me. She said, get off your fat butt and you ought to be doing more around this house. You shouldn't be sitting there. You ought to be helping me. 
That's well, a bit of passive aggression. I love that. Well, you know, the, I think the fascinating thing that, that this illustrates, because I, I, knowing Ron and Gina, you know, but it's not unusual. The relationship, I mean, it it feels different, right? Because you guys have been a team since, right. the, since you got the, the twins. You've got these yeah. three kids. You guys have been a, the dynamic duo taking care of the three kids right. 24-7, and, and all the focus has been on that. And all of a sudden, it... it it's you're pulled in another direction, and it has a direct and immediate impact on how well the team's doing. Yes, it does. We're now, what is it, Jamie, you talk about that three-legged stool. We're down to a <laughs> leg and a half. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. But, you know, the beautiful part about this is it's really about the self-esteem of the family and the self-esteem of the individuals that make up the family. And also, you're right, Ron, you got priorities. You have little kids as well. So, you know, it's good to huddle up with you and Gina when she starts seeing this type of behavior or actually you start seeing certain behaviors in Gina and maybe have, you know, a quiet time that you set aside on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock or, you know, or every other day and just go back and forth about what's worked and what hasn't worked and talk about your own feelings as well uh, throughout the process. I think that communication allows us to be able to receive care in a certain way and allows us to provide care in a certain way. See, you, you two are, are, are great in terms of, of the yin and yang piece. I think that's, I actually love this idea, so let's turn to our care recipient. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and so what do you think of this uh, suggestion from Dr. Well, Jamie I think here, to here, sit down? You know, the, the thing you shouldn't do in therapy from what I've read, is to put words into your partner's mouth. But I think what Gina would say is, Ron has no trouble accepting care. He's got no trouble uh, having me do everything for him. So, so the question is, what's not working for you, <laughs> Thank Gina? You. Thank you very much. I think that's the challenge. Yeah. And, and you're right. We'll try that one, and we'll let you know next time. All right, you may, yeah, you may have just it. saved a whole family, Jamie. It's like chicken soup, Ron. It can't hurt. It's a good thing. And even after you, you cease becoming the recipient and you are strong and running last again, I still keep communicating every Tuesday at 7 about what works and what doesn't work. It's a deal. Thank you. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. This has been Rescue Ron on Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.